0: FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive Director Jackie Clement, Fast Chat features notables in news, media, and business. Hello, and thanks for joining us for this week's Fast Chat with Rita Cosby. She's a great friend with enormous energy and she happens to also be an Emmy award-winning TV host, female legend of the year in radio, best-selling author, and now she adds another challenge to everything else that she's doing. She is chair of the Global Service Institute at Long Island University. So we're going to find out more about that as well as talk about public service and volunteerism and the growing need in America today. So Welcome, Rita. Great to have you with us. The default question we ask everyone uh, these days is, how has the pandemic impacted you? How are you doing?
1: You know, I have been as busy as ever, as you always said. Um, You know, I've always been an Energizer Bunny. Yes. um, But I also think it's been a reflective time, as I think it has been for so many Americans. And I think it's a time which has just reinforced a lot of the things that I've always believed in, in terms of giving back and trying to have a life of purpose and a life that makes a difference. And I think, you know, separate than a journalist, I feel like as a human being, you know, look, in New York City, it's been crazy. Um, The coronavirus has touched so many people's lives. I've had friends um, I had a friend who passed away from the coronavirus. I've had friends who've been struggling um, and were in a, in ICU and got out of ICU. Thank goodness. I've had friends' parents who have passed away. So it's been something obviously very personal too, um, not just something that you cover as a journalist, but something that's just hit so hard as a human and your heart just breaks for everybody going through this. But I also feel it's also been a time where I have been thinking like so many of Americans on how can we give back. How can we make a difference? Um, How can you in this crazy, you know, really difficult, terrible environment that so many people are dealing with, not just obviously the virus, but the effects of the virus and the shutdown and the economy and all the layers that have come with it. um, How can we give back and how in some small way can we try to make the world a better place? Because
0: boy, do we need it right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. One of the things that I've noticed with The headlines in general, if you just sum them all up, it's our growing insecurity. Insecurity being, you know, I may lose my job, I may lose my house, I may not be able to afford food or heat this winter, that sort of thing. So we do see, you know, your, your, your message of there needs to be more attention to public service and even volunteerism to help other people get through this. So I I know that's a topic near and dear to your heart, but let's go back to the beginning of that. How did that happen? Where did your interest in public service begin?
1: Well, you know what, I've always really cared about giving back. And as a journalist, you know, often we get asked, hey, Rita, would you come and speak to this group or would you be able to lend your time? And when I go see so many of these different groups across the country, Jack, I think, oh my gosh, me lending my voice or spending my time or doing whatever I can to help them is the least I can do as an American. And I think we've all sort of felt overwhelmed in this crisis, no matter how many, you know. look, I'm a journalist, I've covered war zones, I've covered some tough stuff through the years, um, but this is obviously so personal. This is my country, this is my world that's been affected. It's something that we all really want to try to help and make a difference in. And I think for me, when I think back of like where it all began, I mean, much of it has also been in my family history. Um, and I know it's something that you and I have talked about before, but something very personal to me. And I'm a first generation American. Um, my mother's Danish, my father's Polish, and they met right after the war in London. My mother actually helped teach my dad English a bit afterwards when they worked for uh, for a Danish financier. Um, there you go. But but my dad could literally only say thank you in English, when he was rescued by American troops. And my father was a teenager in Warsaw, Poland, where he grew up and saw the beginning of World War II, literally saw the planes coming in. And his father uh, and he were outside. He talks about this moment. And I think this is why I also just appreciate what this country means and what we mean to the world, too, so much, Jackie. Because my father was literally a teenager and saw the planes coming. And he told me you know about the story of how his dad was saying oh isn 't it great that the Polish Air Force is doing exercises today?" And my dad said to his father, uh, "Wait a minute they 're coming from a different direction i don 't think that 's the Polish air force and It turned out it was obviously the beginning of World War II and it was the German invasion of poland and My father, at a really young age, decided to stay and fight as a teenager as a citizen soldier, because remember he 's a teenage boy. And he trained in what was sort of like a souped-up version of the Boy Scouts. And they were swimming at night. They were learning how to use weapons. All his teens, should that happen, because of where Poland was geographically and the history of Poland. Um, and so they were always sort of preparing for should war happen. And so yeah. these young people rose up, and my dad ended up fighting, uh, you know, literally there in his homeland uh, for years and was part of the Warsaw Uprising. And very few people know, they know about the ghetto uprising. And my father grew up right outside the ghetto and tried to help those inside and those outside. And he's not Jewish. And people don't realize what an unbelievable sacrifice that was, as you know because had you been feeding anybody that was of Jewish descent, you would have been executed on site, no matter how old you were. But my father was trying to do whatever he can, because he believed if you were Polish, if you were a good citizen, that's all that mattered. Religion did not matter to my father. He just believed in the person and the good, the good people and, and had many Jewish friends. And so my father was trying to help those inside. And then it turned, the next year was the Warsaw Uprising. And that was which my father was very vigorously a part of. And my father thought it was 63 days, more than 200,000 people died, uh, mostly civilians and many young home army guys like my dad, who was a citizen soldier. And my dad was one of the lucky ones that he actually survived that, but then was taken to a Stalag, uh, taken to a prisoner of war camp. And at 90 pounds and six feet tall, Jackie, my dad escaped. And my dad was in the woods for two and a half days and a plane came by, and my dad's an escape POW. He's a Polish, uh, you know, a prisoner of war escaped, you know, and he's in, you know, Germany. It's wartime. Guess what? He's going to be executed on site along with the 60 other Polish POWs he was with. And what happened was the plane came by, dove for the ditches. They thought, okay, it's a grenade. It's the end of the line. Plane came by again, and my dad looked up with his guys, and they saw a star, and they realized it was an American plane. And what was thrown out, they thought again it was a grenade. It turned out to be a chocolate bar with a note wrapped around it, tied with a red ribbon. And it basically said, You have 15 miles to walk and you're free. And so my dad and his guys ran. And they came to American GIs. And again, all my dad could say was thank you. And that's why my dad came to this great country because my dad said, you know, boy, this is the most amazing country in the world that they would send their men thousands of miles away to free us, to free the world in World War II. And so my dad literally kissed the ground when he came to America. And to the day he died, my dad appreciated service. My dad appreciated those of service. And, uh, You know, I used to see tears running down his face every Memorial Day, every Veteran Day, any any time somebody said, I'm a military guy. And, of course, he was very proud of his
0: homeland of Poland, too. Yeah. Now, how old were you when, when you learned of his story? I'm wondering how it, you know, has your appreciation for that evolved over the years and changed?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I really learned of his full story because like so many guys who go through war and that's the other thing I learned so much of this journey, which became very personal to me because here I am, as I mentioned, I've covered war zones before and yet here my father was literally thrust, you know, into World War II and was a prisoner of war. And I really learned of all the details. Um, It's only been, gosh, a little over 10 years or so ago. Um, And here I was an adult and I found... Um, in a suitcase a little over 10 years ago. um, Suddenly, I opened up a suitcase that belonged to my mother. My parents got divorced, and they didn't have a lot of contact after their divorce. It was a very abrupt divorce. And my dad was always very um, psychologically distant and also physically distant. And so my dad was always a bit of a mystery in his background. I, you know, I grew up with him, but they got divorced when I was a teenager. And I remember opening the suitcase not that long ago. And here I'm an adult, a journalist who's covered, again, war zones and interviewed the troops and spent a lot of time with them. And I opened it up and I found this rusty POW tag. And I found a bloody red and white, like the Polish flag, armband that had blood and dirt all over it. And then I found a card of an ex-POW named Richard Kozabutski. K-O-S-S-O-B-U-D-Z-K-I. And I thought, oh my gosh, I bet this is my dad. And I tracked, I reunited with my dad. I tracked my dad down um, and I tell everybody it started the greatest story of my life. And here I'm a journalist who's covered everybody else's story. And here was this amazing story. And I was at first really just a daughter wanting to get to know my dad. And then when he started sharing the story that to me represented just this incredible story of heroism from Poland and a story that I did not know that much because here I was going through the American school system. I thought, gosh, if I don't know this and I'm a fairly educated person, then most Americans don't know the story of this incredible heroism. And it also epitomizes the best of America. And when he shared it, I thought, you know what, I know what I need to do. I need to share the story in a big way. And we did a book together that became a big Uh bestseller. And my dad was alive when it came out, which was such a, a gift to me, Jackie. You know, and yeah. hopefully a gift to a gift to a love letter to our U.S. troops as well.
0: <laughs> and was he was he very forthcoming with the details? Oh or is my that gosh. something you had to be a journalist to get out of him?
1: I had to be a journalist. And luckily, I had a couple <laughs> decades under my belt and it was like pulling teeth. Like I was like extracting like at the dentist, Jackie, because, yeah. you know, my dad, and it really gave me such a personal sense of what people go through when they deal with trauma and they go through war. And because my father went through it in such a deeply personal way, I mean, my dad escaped through sewers that were just about a hundred yards or so from his home. I mean, it was, it was when you hear frontline fighting, I mean, it was literally for survival, you know, frontline and Warsaw where my dad was, which is old town Warsaw for any of the, a lot of the folks who are listening and watching, you know, Old Town Warsaw was obliterated. So that's the part where my dad escaped from. And where President Trump, not that long ago, a number of years ago, he did one of his first speeches in Poland, do okay. you remember when? And he was there, and he was standing in front of this big statue of guys who were uprisers. And it was literally a tribute to like the guys like my dad. And the actual sewer entrance was about 100 or 200 yards from where President Trump stood. So it's a very like well-known place. But my dad was one of the last guys out from his unit into those sewers. And so from my father, it was so personal. And I think like a lot of people who go through trauma, they shut it off. And my dad really was planning on going to his grave, you know, not really sharing the story. And in fact, it's so amazing. He was so um, contained and so secret and so private. That was his way to, his mechanism to survive was to sort of shut it off. And I literally know so much more about my father's past than my mother ever did. And they were married over 30 years before they got divorced. And you know, it's interesting that what I also learned, Jackie, through this whole experience, when my dad um, escaped and then they were rescued by Americans, he and one of his buddies, his best buddy at the time, because, you know, boy, you make friends very quickly when you're in POW camp too, you can imagine. And then they escaped together. They literally shook hands and said, you know, after now they have been rescued. We will never talk about the past. Our lives start from today forward because that, the past, those years prior to that were so horrible and so difficult and so traumatic. And it was a series of obviously, needless to say, traumatic events. Um, that he literally shut it off and they literally made a pact that their lives would begin at that moment on. And I think my dad was planning on on carrying that with him to his grave. And I came to him as a loving daughter, not a journalist at first, you know, and said, Dad, I want to know who I am. I want to know who you are. And I, I also I always believe sort of timings everything in life, Jackie. And oh. and you talk to so many journalists, you guys do such a beautiful job there at the okay. Fair Media Council. And for me. Here I have spent my life interviewing people from dictators to kings to queens to everyday heroes to so many people in my life, um, and my father. You know, I I really was a loving daughter, wanting to get to know who I was, and and then then I finally got to the layers where I was able to ask some very difficult questions, and in a way, it actually was helpful that I was the journalist because when it became sometimes really personal questions I said dad I have to ask you this question you understand because now we've agreed to do a book kind of together we've agreed (laughs) to do this project and um and he almost felt better when I said that because it was like he was responding to the journalist because maybe it was so raw and so
0: fresh as the daughter yeah Did did you see any difference in his behavior once he started to open up to you
1: Oh, my gosh, Jackie, unbelievable. Um, And for a guy who was very steely when I was growing up, my dad um, was always a very happy person, but was never a very super emotional or lovey-dovey, you know, dad. And I think it's because he had to block off emotions and lost so many friends at such an early age. And so he was very sort of, you know, a little bit insensitive, a little bit cold growing up. Um, You know, he would sign letters, yours, dad, sometimes not love dad early on. And I learned why he did that later on, you know. Um, And it went from when we went, and he was telling me finally, what he went through. And it was tapping into this piece of his past that he was clearly planning to lock away for the rest of his life. He was so emotional, Jackie. And then the culmination of it was we were invited by then the president of Poland to go back to my father's homeland, where he had not been in almost 65 years to the day. And he was held at gunpoint. The last His last vision of Poland, you can imagine what it was like. He was, you know, here was a teenager had, hit by, had been hit by a mortar shell. He was near death being you know whipped by a German guard and then held a gunpoint on a boxcar and hauled to a POW camp that, and his country in rubble, literally. That was his last vision of Poland. And then the president of Poland invited us to come back. They heard that there was an upriser who was still alive. And I asked my dad, and had it not been the president of Poland, my dad never would have gone back because it was like the guys going back to Vietnam. There were just so many emotions. <clears throat> and he came back and at every turn, um, There's just tears, you know, some very painful and survivor's guilt too that he was going through, and then so many tears of joy too to see now Poland thriving, and like in you know, rising from the ashes like a phoenix, and they actually rebuilt Old Town where my father fought literally to look like it did back then, they found old paintings. And my dad almost thought he was in a, like, you could just see his face. He almost thought he was like in a mirage when he was walking through Old Town with me. But it was so beautiful, because it really helped him psychologically come full circle. And for me, it was my first visit to Poland. I had never been to Poland before. And to imagine what it was like to go back with my dad? And he literally got a hero's welcome from the president of Poland. But it was also just so cathartic for him, so Unbelievable and cathartic for me. And once we were there and once we walked the places where my father lost his comrades and where, you know, he talked about what happened, he, his memory was like, you know, it was amazing, Jackie. You know, you think, I sometimes can't think of what I had for breakfast. And my dad yeah. could remember, well, that happened on a Tuesday, you know, in 1944. And you're, how did you remember? You know, and, yeah, exactly. he, and he was so seared. You know, it was amazing. Um, But to go there, that was really powerful. And now every time I go back to
0: Poland, I I feel my father's spirit every time. Oh, well, it's sort of a happy ending to an incredibly horrible story in that regard. But I'm wondering, too, now, how has learning his story impacted the way you tell stories as a journalist? That's a great question.
1: I think for me, it's made me more sensitive and more appreciative um, I've always been one of those people who wears a little bit of my heart on a sleeve. I believe that we're still humans, um, and when I've interviewed people in the past, there've been times where I felt, you know, that I, you know, got emotional or, you know, but I feel like now I really understand the depth of of their pain. You know, I've interviewed people who've lost everything, whether it was in a flood, or whether it was in an earthquake, or somebody who's in war, or someone who's been a, a victim of violence. And I've always been someone who I feel like is, is a, a real person and someone that's been sincere. But I feel like it's certainly added a, a greater level of empathy and understanding and to sort of walk in their shoes and that everybody handles pain differently. Everybody handles relationships differently. You know, and I think about, you know, in my father's case, my father, I, you know, my father, even by his own account, you know, was obviously not a perfect dad. Um, certainly made <laughs> mistakes, but boy, was he a hero. And and I wondered after hearing his story, how did he even function? How how was he able to be you know a great role role model for me as he was in so many ways when I was a young child and I'd see my father running marathons and a hardworking man and trying to do the best he could and that's amazing to me that he was able to do that and come to America and learn the language and get assimilated and and be a, you know incredible you know still contribute as a civil engineer and do so many things he did after what he went through some people you know would not even be able to like you know get out of bed in the morning yeah. and so i have such unbelievable empathy i think now when i interview someone who's gone through some sort of trauma whatever it is or if they say you know i can't talk now um, but maybe i'll be ready later You know, that everybody has a moment when they're ready to share their story. And I think my father, had I approached him earlier, would not have been ready. And when I did approach my dad, he was in his 80s um, and he passed away, you know, a few years later. I'm so thankful he shared the story. But I also always feel like sometimes timing is right for every moment. And he, he might not have been ready, you know, decades earlier when I, you know, I'd wanted to know the story for a long time. And I was ready to really understand it and grasp it too, because I was you know an adult and able to really really comprehend and, and feel the depth of what he went through so that's helped me I think tremendously understand people's story and what they and every every circumstance is different the way people handle things are different, and because they're not ready to talk, it doesn't mean you know, that they won't at some point or, or maybe they never will, but at least to try and to try to help them and encourage why it maybe helps them because it certainly helped me and my dad and our relationship and helped many other people through the book.
0: Yeah. Well, I think though that open empathy you kind of just inhabit may be the reason you're able to land interviews other people just can't, you know?
1: Well, you know, you know what? I always feel I have people ask me that, you know, like, what's the secret? And I think the secret to a great interview, and and even in in the case, obviously, of my father, again, I was a daughter first and then a journalist second, but I think it's being real because I think people, um, there are different reasons people want to give an interview to you. I think in my father's case, I think he felt like I'm getting up there in years. Mm-hmm. and his health was failing a little bit at the time. And I think he thought, you know, if I don't share this story now, maybe it will go to my grave, and my daughter clearly wants to learn about it and, and to do it as a tribute to the troops and to also yeah. to his homeland. He really felt like not for him. He wanted, to, he wanted it to be a testament to our American troops and to the, the Polish comrades, many of them who didn't survive, obviously. And um, I think that people also feel sincerity you know, and people feel that if you're there, there's sometimes it's okay, you know, I'm working at this network, or I have to do it now because of a particular reason to tell the story. But a lot of times people give it to people who they feel a connection with. Um, And it may be someone that maybe they've been watching you for years and say, Oh, gosh, I love Rita's style. I know that she's handled this other person with dignity, you know, or maybe she's been tough on people, but I know she's going to be fair to me. Um, I always feel like that's a compliment when I get called both of those in the same breath, you know. (laughs) Um, And also that people feel there's there's people who listen and people who really do care. And I think, you know, I'm always amazed at people who can fake sincerity. Um, I genuinely really appreciate people and appreciate stories. And I think that that comes through that. I genuinely want to learn about them and genuinely would like to be able to share their story and do the best job I can.
0: Yeah. No, it comes across like you have a great appreciation for being in the moment right now for whatever it is that's in front of you. Well, you know? I'm with you. That's why I got to be, Jackie. I'm with <laughs> well, you. Well, we're so glad you're with us. <laughs> so let's, ta- let's talk a little bit about this new challenge you're doing, because I can't imagine how you get it all done with only 24 hours in a day. But <laughs> helping out now at Long Island University. This, yeah, this sounds so like an amazing. enormous challenge here that you have going on. It is. And I don't do anything small.
1: You know that. So, you know, so for me, this is such an amazing, amazing endeavor that we have just launched, actually, just fairly recently. And it's called the Global Service Institute at Long Island University. And um, Long Island University, uh, you know, as you know, um, it's it's a great university. Um, It is based there, of course in Brookville, but they also have a campus in Brooklyn. They've got a couple satellite locations, 265 accredited programs, long established, an amazing, amazing university. And we started a dialogue about me maybe doing something, maybe doing a speech or doing an event or something with them. And I started hearing about what their vision was for the future, and especially Dr. Kim Klein, who is the president of the university, who's an amazing visionary. And started talking about what they'd accomplished, especially in recent years, where they were headed. And I thought, this is really impressive. This is something different. It went from me thinking, okay, maybe uh, I'll do an event or help out at something I've always deeply cared about from education to let's see how we can really take education to the next level. And not just at Long Island University, which is an incredible base, but also really enhancing education around the country, around the world. And we thought, let's formula, let's take what they have already and take it to the next level with the Global Service Institute. And what it is, is it's teaching the next generation and current generations about the values of service, the values of giving back. And it could not come, my goodness, at a more fortuitous time and a more important time, I think, about with the coronavirus. And it was something we started discussing actually pre-coronavirus, saying, you know, there's a void in education around the country. And I thought about it Because, Jackie, I often get asked from people, you know, okay, my daughter or son want to get into journalism, where should I send them? Or my daughter and son want to go to business school, where should I send them? And I would know the answer to those. I would know the answer to, you know, a number of other schools. But I thought to learn the values of service and something that, as you know, I care deeply, deeply about, there really wouldn't be a place that I would know where to send them. And boy, do we need that now more than ever at such an unbelievably divided time in the world and in this country. And also at a time where prior even to the coronavirus where people, I think there were so many people I knew who wanted to give back, wanted to volunteer, wanted to help didn't really know how and didn't really know the central place to guide them and we thought let's create this and let's have it education based which is what makes it so amazing and to have it you know created there at long island university this great acclaimed college as the base what an unbelievable sort of combination and we decided to really kick it off in full fashion. You know, we, we did a, a slew. We did um, launch on Good Morning America. We were also on Fox and Friends recently and have done a whole bunch of media related to it because the response has been so great. And again, this was pre-coronavirus that we started talking about it. But as soon as yeah. coronavirus hit, we said, gosh, we got to turbocharge this. This is needed now more than ever. And we also created an app, we're also going to be having speakers as well that we already started. So it's a just- full dimensional, all these different layers to it. And it's a way that everybody can get involved in giving back because some people now can give back. They want to give back virtually. They're at home. How can I help? And it could be all the way from a student who wants to help a senior citizen at a home. Uh, Maybe it's somebody who wants to work at an animal shelter. Maybe it's somebody who wants to help veterans. There's so many different layers and everybody wants to help different ways. We're going to be able to show them how. And to me, that is so deeply meaningful. And I think about, you know, my father hopefully smiling from above um, to be able to have the impact not just on this generation, but hopefully it's going to be around for many, many generations to
0: come. Yeah. Now explain the app to me, though. Is this something that matches up? If I'm interested in helping out at an animal shelter, is that why I would use the app? Yeah, for
1: anything that you'd like to do. In fact, the app is called Global Service-Volunteering. If you go on, you can go to the Apple Store and download it or go to Google Play. And by the way, it is a free app because we wanted to do it as a free service to everybody. And it's basically, it's considered one of the first of its kind tied to education. And that's what makes it so neat that we're also going to have programs on there, speakers on there, a whole bunch of layers to it. But it also has an instantaneous practical use, and you just did it on the head, um, that if your interest is an animal, Shelter, or if your interest is veterans or whatever it is, whatever your interest is, you go into the app, you register as a volunteer, and then you type in, here are some of my interests, and also where you're located. And it will instantly pair you with available openings and nonprofit organizations that are in dire need and you know sadly right now because of the coronavirus the need is so overwhelming Jackie and it's always been great it's always you know charities are always looking for great volunteers who fit their interests but the need could never be greater the time could not be more pivotal and the response has been incredible and from even the minute even before we launched publicly we reached out to some charities and when we talked to some of the heads of charities they were so emotional i mean some of them were you know tears of joy oh thank you this is so great we need all the help we can get How do we get in and so they're registering so folks who are interested in helping whatever way it is um, they can go on there and again type in their interests and then if there's charities that are also you know watching and listening as well they can also join us as well because it's free for them too we want to be able to instantly be able to help and connect you know demand with those who want to help and whatever way it could be you want to work you know you want to do it part-time maybe you want to do it once a month maybe you want to do it every day maybe it's solely virtually there's a lot of obviously virtual opportunities now we're going to be able to show you how and connect you and the other thing that's also kind of neat jackie too on top of the app also after you put in the information there may be something that matches that says oh gosh i like this but if there isn't a match or another match comes in later after you've already registered you'll get an alert that says, okay, by the way, now there's a new charity that's joined that has another animal yeah. shelter or something right. that would match your interests. Oh,
0: that's incredible, especially for the nonprofits, because oh, the, to- so- the timing here is really, really important, because so much of what you described nonprofits would rely on as in-person sort of recruitment events that just can't be done today. So to Absolutely. be able to, to jump over that hurdle, it's so good to hear.
1: And you know the other thing too, Jackie, so many of them, like you said, the in-person recruitments, also for, you know, they often have these huge fundraisers every year. They have the big galas. They have all these big events. And a lot of them, as you know, they can't happen in person. They can't do the, you know, the very nice dinners at different places and raise the fund where they could maybe hire people and do some other things. So they're so grateful that there's this instantaneous connection with people. And I think because of the pandemic, as I mentioned, even like, you know, I think I've done my own ref- reflection of, of, it's just reinforced my belief of giving back. And that's what excites me so much of being able to be a part of the recovery of this country to help in in any way we can. But I think there's so many people that have been home spending time with their families, spending time with their loved ones, um, seeing difficult times with friends or family members because of what's happened with the virus or the economy, everything together. It's been such an overwhelming time and people are sitting back and really kind of appreciating what matters in life and wanting to make a difference and help or do something. and feeling just so overwhelmed with what's happening to be able to kind of give them a great, easy, tangible, and free way to do it is just so rewarding and so neat. And just even the response we've gotten has been amazing. And, and that alone has just been gratifying to know that hopefully we can make a great difference.
0: Well, congratulations on that. I wish you the best of luck with that going forward because it's so desperately needed. So we need to wrap up because it's a fast chat and we've already run out of time. One question to leave you with. What's the best part about being Rita Cosby today? Well,
1: today oh, it's talking to you for sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and I think also just being fearless, you know, I, I think, you know, I learned it as we talked about from my dad and my mom too, because they both had a hundred dollars when they came over a uh, hundred dollars together on the Queen sense. Mary to America. And I think I learned that at an early age that uh, life has no boundaries and, uh, and try to make the most of it. So I, I hope I'm living uh, a shred of the courage that my dad and my mom have.
0: The Fair Media Council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media-savvy society. For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming Fast Chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org.